This is CliffCentral.com. They say death and taxes are the two certainties in life. It should really be death and change. Welcome to Change Matters, made just for you by BrightRock, provider of the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. I am Ruda Landmann. Life is constant change, and believe it or not, we can handle every bit of it. Some people make the transitions look so easy. Others come out looking weary and plucked. To be a voyeur and possibly pick up some tips to use along the way can come in handy. Listen to Amore Becker, Katlejo Maboy, Gareth Cliff, Clint Brink and Farah Fortune on how they adapted to change. Amore Becker couldn't know how many changes she would have to go through to finally get to a place of rest. Her life was going to be smooth sailing, or at the very least, much less complicated. When I grew up, I was an extrovert. I'm still one, but <laughs> those days, what do you do if you're an extrovert? You know, you think, I should just become an actress, you know. And that's why I thought, yeah, let me study drama. I, I went for many auditions, Ruda. But I never succeeded in one. And uh, it wasn't an easy time in my life. So I did waitressing. I, I had the opportunity to travel to New Zealand. And there I heard sheep. <laughs> and it, it, it was for three months in my life. It was terrible. But it was good character building. Oh, man. So I came back to South Africa thinking, still thinking I want to be an actress. Still going for auditions. This perceived setback would work out well for Amore. I had to go stay with my parents and uh, a neighbor of my parents uh, said, well, uh, the story of sheep shearing, the radio must hear about that. And then he organized that I go to Ari and tell them my story. And there, Gerda uh, Kutsia said, of who was then at Ari said, please, oh, you must go for an audition. And then I got an audition at Radio Algoa and that's how it all happened. You see, I was Heta Becker until the age of 25. And um, at Radio Algoa, I was still Heta Becker, but then I wanted to go back to Cape Town. And uh, so I did an audition at uh, Radio Good Hope. And they said, okay, we, we, we would love to have you here, but there's just one problem. And I said, what? They said, oh my goodness, with a name like Heta Becker, you can never be on radio. It sounds too fat and conservative. <laughs> my second name is Armour. And then we just put the E at the end that it rolls better. So from then on, I became Amore Becker. Then love beckoned and Amore decided to follow its call all the way to Greece. Amore has a different rhythm. In a matter of two weeks there, I lost my joy. I did not know what it was and I could not find my joy in Greece. And then I, I knew that was the sign. That, was, that it's not for me, but it was so difficult because mm. I loved this man so much. So besides the heartache, on the other side, I also had to find out why and where was God in those very, very lonely moments when I asked God, just please explain to me, um, how come I'm so in love with this man, but I've lost my joy? Please explain mm. that to me. That later on, I said to God, you know what, you must talk now. You know, you and I are the only people on this island who understand Afrikaans. <laughs> Needless to say, she came back home and eventually loved again. This time, it was a perfect match. But death was unkind. 
Her partner of more than three years died in a plane crash. I immediately saw a traumatologist. So I took off two weeks after his death. And I was wondering how on earth am I going to go back to my job? Because in my job, I must be in a very good mood every day. I was wondering how on earth am I going to broadcast? I can't lie to the people. They will hear I'm sad. In those two weeks, it dawned on me what my goal is in life. And I realized it is eating and talking. And that gave me so much joy. Look, there's a difference between joy and happiness. If you know what you're... If you're on your path, mm. you know, if you're on, there's a lovely quote that says, you are chronically tired because you're not on your path. Mm. If you know what's your path, then you have that joy. It stays the same. Where happiness comes and goes, you know, you get a fine today, tomorrow <laughs> somebody hits you on the head, then you're unhappy. Mm. But your joy stays constant. So I realized I'm sad, yes, but I have not lost my joy. And your joy, that is where God is, man. That's where you get your energy from, you know. People have all these wonderful things to say about mourning. All I can say is, mourning exposes you. Mm -hmm. It exposes you. You know, you don't necessarily get to become a better person. Mm. Or um, that there's more meaning in your life. It just exposes you. And then you've got to work with that. The young and well-loved Katlehu Maboy takes change in his stride. His singing career started when he accidentally walked into a music class at the age of eight. Katlehu went on to become a popular boy band member, and he loved it. Flipper Coin was started by a group of guys at Veritas Mans Corsais, uh on the campus of the Northwest University. You know, they, they, they approached me and asked me if I was interested to be part of this group because they were starting this new kind of fresh flavor of a cappella music and they had seen me performing the previous year for, um, and in this performance I beatboxed. Beatboxing, it's when you use your mouth to make percussive sounds like. Yeah, so I did a little bit of that and uh, so they thought they would, they'd, they'd like to integrate this into their, their repertoire and what they do to kind of give the group a new flavor and uh, that's how I made it into the group and that's exactly what resulted in where I am now because as a result of Flippercoin I got to go to things like the Car Car and Car, uh, to all kinds of music festivals like Artlop um, and uh, we made a name for ourselves and that's how I got into contact with the very person that got me to my first TV audition. But Katlehu pursued a BCom. It wasn't so much my dream as it was my mom's dream. She wanted me to really have a solid career behind me um, and I guess being an accountant uh, is something that uh, she thought might be a good option. But my heart and passion have always really been in music and I, I, th- I think I just made a, a decision at the time to respect my mom's wishes that uh, you know she's worked very very hard to get me to where I am and I guess the last gift I could give to her is to get this degree and afterwards hopefully you know God willing uh, my path would still find its way back to music as it always has without me necessarily uh, willing it that way but in the beginning I, you know, I understand why it was scary for her uh, because she wasn't sure what the world of entertainment would present to me um, and, you know, she'd seen many careers that went up in flames and she didn't want me to be one of those. When television came calling, Katlehu became enamored with it. It was a match made in heaven. And a couple of weeks later, I got the call that I'd had, that I'd gotten the job uh, on Dakar TV and I was going to be on SABC3 on Friday evening at 7 o'clock. It's primetime TV. In and Afrikaans? In Afrikaans. And uh, that's how it all started. And after that came 50-50. And uh, so I, f- I found myself completely fascinated by this world. And I think it's only once I got my second job in TV 
on 50-50, that I really potentially saw this as a career. And so when I got the gig, I was like, wow, this is, this is my first time working with AutoCue. This is amazing. I could actually do something with this. If I really work hard and I practice and I become good at this, it could be a career. Here's the face that wakes you up in the morning with the brightest of smiles. And according to his plans, this ride has only just started picking up speed. I'm very much obsessed with my career and my work, I think because I enjoy it so much. It never really feels like work whenever I'm doing it. Um, but I do try and find some, some space just to kind of not do anything if I feel like it, maybe take a walk up Table mm. Mountain every now and then. But I've, I've, I've got my, my picture of where, I'd want to, where I want to be in five years and I've started putting a team together in terms of you know, an agent, a PR marketing manager and people that are helping me to not only have those dreams in here but put them down on paper and actually start working towards them um, on a daily basis. So that definitely is uh, in the works. Calculated change is what comes to mind when Gareth Cliff, who is no stranger to controversy, resigned from his prolific position on commercial radio in a manner so dramatic countless South Africans held their breath. The naysayers thought it was the end of his career, but Gareth was about to have some realizations of his own. I'm lazy. This is too easy for me and I don't care about what management say to me. And the audience will forgive me. And it was this arrogance. It was very, very bad. And I suddenly realized this is not good enough. What was he going to do about it? You have two options. You either carry on trying to improve the product you're already engaged in, or you force yourself to go up a level and do something a lot harder, which is going to give you no option. Because I don't have the option for failure here. Other than giving South Africans radio they can relate to, Cliff Central is the biggest home of podcasts in Africa. His tenacity is fueled by his attitude. I think there's a point in everybody's life where you decide to take control of your own destiny. And in most respects, my life was my own design anyway. Before the decision, you're, you're wrecked with all the... You, you look at it from 360 degrees. You walk right around the problem and you check it out from every angle and you say, okay, if this happens, what will happen there? If that happens, what will happen there? Then you start figuring in, okay, I've got this bond to pay... I've got these bills at the end of every month. You, you really analyze your life. You get down to the bare bones of it and you go, is that what I want? And can I carry on doing what I'm doing and sustain this current lifestyle? Is that all I need to do or do I need to do more? I may give the impression that I'm a loose cannon and that I do ridiculous, stupid things. But when it comes to things like my career, like radio, like my audience, I'm not careless. I'm very careful about that. Those th those are not things you take for granted. People will, just as quickly as they listen and they enjoy it, tomorrow they'll forget about me. The fact that the media business is changing as it is, these all gave me reason to be positive. And the fact that I could, that I've got this, this creative bugbear that I need to be able to do my thing, but I need to do it my way. South African audiences deserved something new. Um, radio has become very stale. I got bored as a listener, and mm. I thought, if I'm a listener and I'm bored, I can only imagine how people who sit in traffic for two, three hours a day have to put up with so much more boredom. Let me fix that for them. And you just, you live, you carry on putting your energy into what you're building rather than worrying about what you already have. Musician Clint Brink's dream was to become an actor. Although he was successful at his craft, his personal road would prove to be difficult at times. I was the kid in the sideline reading books while everyone else were, you know, they were playing sports. And I only later uh, got into it, you know. 
When I when I started working at backstage, I was 18. And I turned 19 on set, so I was I was pretty young still. I love people. I come from a community. It's from Nepal. It's from a clean door So we people, people. You know, I'm used to either helping people out in soup kitchens or doing this or being around people. You know, helping people in need or being mm. served by people. That's my mom just said. Look here, you know, if, if God placed you in a position where you're able to touch a lot of people's lives, it's important for you to understand the responsibility of who you are. Mm. You know, it all stemmed from the fact when I when I lost my fiance in the car accident when I was 21 years old. Mm. And things after that, my perception of time changed a lot. And my perception of how to invest in people and what I want out of life changed a lot. Um, going through something like that at such a young age, I mean, they've, um, and it had a, a, like serious repercussions in my family for a long time. Financial implications, not to mention the emotional scarring it had on people, you know. And, um, I'm moved to Joburg. I don't have a proper job yet. I'm sleeping on people's floors. Um, I'm dealing with the fact that I, you know, the loss that I just went through and having to rebuild my life um, all on my own in a city that I don't know, in an industry that I'm, you know, f fairly new to with no family and no support. I really had to find strength and cultivate, uh, you know, a, a good sense of self. And I think if I didn't go through that at such a young age, I wouldn't know now who I am and what's important to me now. The times where I wished that life would stop. I'm very tenacious. I don't like losing. I work hard. I prepare well. So when I invest myself, I invest everything I have. So when, when I found myself in a situation that I wasn't able to rectify myself, I couldn't do anything about it. It was the worst feeling for me. It shook me to my core. And I remember um, I was, I just walked out of my flat. And um, by that time I was, I was finished. I had no hope. My heart was completely shattered. I still had to work at the same. Um, uh, my ex-fiance was working and she was a character on the show as well. Um, and I mean, I had to still see her wardrobe there and her clothes there and go back home. And I had to pack all of her clothes and boxes and send her to her family myself. Um, that I, I got into the car one day and I was just done. I was like, you know, whatever needs to happen needs to happen today. And I drank half a bottle of Jack Daniels and I put it down next to me on the seat like this. I start the car and I was like, whatever happens must happen. I remember just as I started my car, I got a beep in my phone and it was a message from my baby sister. I cannot imagine what you must be going through. All I know is that if you can't make it through this none of us will and I need you that was the day I decided that you know I've always been someone that's been driven by challenges and I said well this is going to be the biggest challenge of your life what are you going to do now and I just took it a day at a time I just took it the next day and you know the next moment and then you know things got better and then and then I moved up to Joburg 2002 and uh yeah, from then on, things just, things just changed a lot. Then there's publicist Farah Fortune, respected in the entertainment industry for her ability to make brands and people visible. Her family left the country to live first in Belgium and later the UK. 
she came back to her country of birth and found that she is stronger than she knew. Before we left South Africa, my parents said, you know, we want to show you South Africa before we leave. And, and we took a trip on the garden route. And I think at the time, the only hotel that would allow people of color to stay in them um, in Durban was the Holiday Inn. <clears throat> and we stayed there. And I said to my mom, I'm going to go to the pool, I'm going to swim. And she thought I meant in the hotel, but I'd actually wanted to go and swim on the beachfront, and that's why I went. And at the time, because of the segregation, there was one pool for, for people of color and there was one pool for white people. And I went, I didn't know, you know, that there was the segregation of pools, and I ended up swimming in the in the pool for white people. And all I felt was somebody grab me from behind and pull me out of the pool. It was my mom. In this panic saying, you can't swim here, you can't swim here, you have to swim over there. And when I looked over there, the pool was dirty and I was like, I'm not swimming there. I mean, mm -hmm. we used to go with my mom to the store and my mom, because my mom's very light, um, you know, they think she was white and they'd allow her into the shops. But if they seen us standing around the corner, you know, with, and my brothers are darker than us as well. So then they would ask my mom to leave because, you know, they'd ask whose kids we were and we're like, we're waiting for my mom. And if you were of color, you got served outside of the shop. Yeah. You know, if you were white, you were allowed in the shop. Sure, um, we forget, huh? We so, forget. yeah, and, and those are the, you know, that's how I grew up. So I think my parents, you know, they got tired. They got tired of living that life. My, my mom and dad got tired of not being able to go out in the street, you know, hold hands without being judged or looked at. Um, and my parents moved us. It gave us so much opportunity and, and we were able to see things so differently. And um, I, I was saying um, before when we were talking, you know, I, we were there two days. We were in Belgium. I think it was the second day. And my dad said, you know, let's take a walk around. I want to show you, you know, where we're living. And I seen a black man kissing a white woman. And I grabbed my dad and I was like, tell him to stop. They're going to get into trouble. And my dad then had to sit me down and explain, you know, that the world is not like that. It was just South Africa. And that was a lot for me to take in as a 10-year-old child, understanding that, you know, people's skin color is what determines how far they go in life. And I think that's when I realized that, you know, we're all the same. Yeah. Um, it's just that our particular country that needed to get itself together. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up moving back. My parents had already moved back. I think I moved back in 2004. My parents moved back in 1996. When I first came back and I started looking for a job, I remember going to for an interview, I won't say which company. Um, and the lady said to me, um, you're very qualified for this job, but you're not dark enough. Um, so that was also a lot to take in. I think I realized that we still have a long way to go, um, but we have come a long way too. Um, I originally started um, my company, well, well a, a different company with a very crooked business partner, but it taught me lots and lots of lessons. Um, so it, wa it was hard. It was, but looking back, I, I don't think I'd change anything. I don't think I'd be here unless I had gone through all of those struggles. I wasn't able to pay my rent and I wasn't able to feed my child. I think that was the hardest thing. And we got kicked out of our house and I had to live in my car for a little bit, you know, with my daughter. And, and that's hard, you know, your pride really takes a knock. I, I very much live now because of that. I live now by um, the philosophy, do I want it, do I need it? I, I don't think you'll get anywhere good if you don't struggle to get there because you don't appreciate it otherwise. <laughs> so seemingly finding your joy, like Amore says, seems to be the answer to tackling change. Thanks for listening to Change Matters, made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Make sure you catch every episode of Change Matters. 
This is CliffCentral.com.